Okay, time for the main message. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the the, uh, the letter to the Colossians, chapter 3. And actually, we'll try and get through the whole chapter this morning. And I hope you are blessed because the message is very similar to the one Mr. Perry just shared with us now. Colossians chapter 3. And we'll start off reading verses 1 to 4 this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and commit this time to him. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for your precious word that we can learn from and feed from and grow through. And we pray this morning that your spirit will be teaching us directly, that you would simply be using me as that paintbrush in your hand and as a, an instrument, Lord, to be able to convey your truth to my brothers and sisters. We thank you once again for this time. We pray you be honoured and glorified through it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. People are uh, normally very good at learning to adapt to new circumstances and conditions in their life. Uh, it might not seem that way sometimes, and sometimes we don't like change. And change is not necessarily easy to go through. And in this stage of lockdown, after months of being restricted in one way or another, most people have become accustomed to living a bit of a different life to what they were used to before. But most just looking forward to having their freedom back to what they had before. They look forward to seeing their friends again, to being together with their family, um, driving around a little bit, maybe taking a vacation. The result of this pandemic has been um, something that has taken away the freedom that we have enjoyed beforehand. Um, but this is a, a clear picture of the consequences of sin also in a person's life from a spiritual perspective. The Bible describes a sinner as being a slave, someone without freedom, someone bound to sin and literally dead in it. In fact, if you want to look at the at the uh, uh, the most severe form of, um, of a lack of freedom, uh, it's death. When we're saved, though, we're given a new nature to enjoy and to nurture, but we're also given a new environment from which to live and operate in. The difference between being in lockdown and free to move around and go where you want to go um, and when you want to go there is a bit akin to being a slave to sin and then being freed by Jesus. The spiritual difference is much, much greater though. The difference is so stark between being in lockdown and, and being freed from a spiritual perspective or being dead and being freed is that God compares it literally to death and then being alive. A dead man um, doesn't move, doesn't work, doesn't love, doesn't breathe, doesn't eat, doesn't really do anything at all. If you consider being in stage four lockdown restrictive, um, and that we're all waiting for this government pronouncement uh, declaring that we can resume a more normal life again. Imagine someone like Lazarus. 
that good friend of Jesus, who was bound up in, in, uh, in grave clothes or uh, grave uh, cloths, unable to speak or move, locked down in a, in a cold, dark tomb with no hope and literally stinking of decay. Yet even in this state, Lazarus heard these amazing words. He heard Lazarus come forth. Upon hearing these words, he immediately finds himself awake. But he's still wrapped up in smelly strips of cloth. And he's in a cold, dark tomb. And he's covered with perfume. Um, you know, perfume is okay um, to mask certain odours. But you know what? After you've been dead for four days... Um, it doesn't do the job quite well. Um, here's Lazarus in a grave, and he's been dead for four days, and he hears Jesus calling him. He hears him literally call him by name, and he opens up his eyes while lying down in this cold, dark tomb. And he must have got a, a glimpse of the light that was penetrating through the cloth on his face or his face covering that was coming through the doorway where a rock was sitting in front of just previously. And he suddenly realizes that he's in a tomb. And immediately he gets up and thinks to himself, I don't want to stay in here. And he turns his head to where the light is and that doorway. And he hears maybe the sound of people outside. And so he gets up and makes his way to the light. And we have this beautiful verse in John chapter 11, verse 44. And it says, And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. And this morning, if you've heard the voice of Jesus Christ calling you forth, calling you by name, <clears throat> and you have come out of that grave, out of your ten, stage 10 spiritual lockdown, you are now alive, the Bible says. You are no longer locked in a grave. You have been freed from your prison. But there is something that still needs to be done, according to the story of Lazarus. So you cannot live life without removing those smelly grave clothes and putting on clean, fresh ones. And this is what we're going to be looking at today in our passage from Colossians. So it says there once again in verse 1, it says, if, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. You will notice that Paul starts with a premise that whoever is reading or hearing this letter would know, or if they knew, that they were risen, either risen with Christ or they weren't. You can know it. Paul says, if you are risen with Christ. The premise indicates that a person can actually know. 
whether they have been born again in Christ and risen with him already, or risen, uh, sorry, risen with Christ is not spoken of here in some future tense, as if it's something they were still waiting for, something they were looking forward to happening, but something that has already happened. He says, if you have been risen with Christ. So Paul is speaking of salvation here and the understanding that you have already risen. Well, what does that actually mean? Doesn't rising mean that you were dead to begin with? Well, the answer to that is yes, because the Bible teaches that every person old enough to understand good and evil is already then dead in sin. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now that word quickened means to be made alive, just like he called Lazarus out of that grave. The Bible says that we have been quickened, made alive, the ones who were dead in trespasses and sins. That every person is in that category. There is not one who ends up escaping that particular category. Our prayer this morning is that this premise would be true for you, that you already know whether you have been risen to life, because salvation is something that you can know, and it can be known when you repent and put your trust in Jesus to save you from your sin. Because he paid for all of your sin on that cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago, and rose again on the third day from that grave. You see, death could not hold him down. And he defeated death. We can have that hope in him. That one day, death will not hold us down either. So Paul then says, if this is true for you, then you should be seeking those things which are above where Christ is sitting on his throne. So we're encouraged by Paul to do two very specific things. He says, seek those things which are above, look for those things which are above. And then he says, set your affection on things above, not on the earth, set your affection. In other words, seek for what heaven wants, what heaven is all about. Look for heaven's things, those things which heaven represents. Your affection the things that you love, the desire of your heart should be focused more on heaven than anywhere else or anything else. Why? Because as a risen person, you belong to heaven now. You are a citizen of that country already and you are dead. Your old life is dead and left here. Therefore, your allegiance and love should be for that place. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12, verse 31 for a moment. And Jesus expresses this in a slightly different way, but yet the same. Luke chapter 12, verse 31 says, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, 
there will your heart be also. You see Jesus speaking about exactly the same thing. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek those things which are heavenly, which represent heaven, which characterize it in your life and on the earth. Because where your treasure is, what where you value that thing is where your heart is going to be. Here Jesus is teaching people plainly, especially in his day, those who were looking to follow him and become his disciples. He was saying to them, you know what? Better that you sell what you have. Give it away and gain that which is from above. And for us, the message is clear. Heaven is worth so much more than every and any other earthly possession. And my love and your love should be so focused on heaven. Our lives should be so focused in heaven and be in heaven that nothing else compares with that blessing. Because where your greatest treasure is, is where your heart actually is. Ever heard of a or ever know someone who's very patriotic? Someone who just can't stop talking about their nationality or their country or their customs? Think of the most patriotic person that you have ever met. Someone who loves their country so much, believes in its culture and customs and promotes it at every opportunity. They're so happy and they're so positive about it. Someone who is far away from their beloved home and longing to be there, longing to visit it and go there. Well, that's what it should be like for us. We should be the most patriotic people on this planet, but not for here, not for Australia, not for anywhere else, not even from where we were from or our families may have been from originally, but for our real home heaven. We should be the most patriotic, heavenly people anywhere. It should be the thing we speak about the most. It should be the thing that excites us the most. It should be the thing where our heart is because that's where our treasure really is. So Paul says, you know, if you've really been risen with Christ, that's where your heart should be. That's where your affection should be focused. And he says there, for ye are dead, our old life is dead, and your life, your real life, is hid with Christ in God. Where's Christ? In heaven. That's where our real life is. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. You know, we already exist in God's mind because we are in Christ. And he sits on that throne at the right hand of the Father. If you have been raised this morning to new life, then you exist already in Christ. You are hidden within him. Our life is there. So we should have our affection there and not on the earth. This is our new and eternal identity. It is Christ who is our life. I'll repeat those words to give them a bit more of an opportunity to sink in for you. Jesus Christ is our life. He is my life. He is your life. If you have been raised from the dead, 
If you have been saved from sin and from hell, then Jesus is your life. There is no one or nothing else more precious than him. All of our hope, all of our future, our peace, our prosperity, our life. He who rescued us and loves us so much that he was willing to give his own life for us is where our life is. Indeed, Jesus says, Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. And this is what our greatest friend did for us. He gave his life that we might have life. Look how this verse finishes. In verse 4 it says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now what an amazing verse. When Jesus appears to this world, you see there will come a day, and it could be very soon, when Jesus will appear to this world. And where will we be? The Bible says we will appear with him in glory, transformed and glorified, shining and glorious like him. It's an amazing thought if you think of it. What we will be in that future is something altogether different than what we are now. As different as a butterfly to a caterpillar. The Bible says that we will appear with Jesus glorified. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 because the Apostle John speaks of this very thing. And I love the way he puts it. In chapter 3, verse 1, 1 John, that's John's first epistle, chapter 3, verse 1. And look at what he speaks when he speaks about this amazing love that God has shown to us. He says, behold, have a look at this. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Look at what he's given us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now, if you are risen with Christ, you can know it now. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We can't see that just yet. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Just Dwell on that for a moment. The appearance of Christ in this world is a trigger of our glorification. You see, the Bible tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But even though we are present with the Lord, the Bible says that we have not been glorified yet. We may be with him in heaven, but we haven't received our new bodies yet. That comes at a later stage. But there will come a day, the Bible says, and we'll be glorified. And when, when he appears, we will appear with him and will be glorified with him. Just think about that glorious day for a moment. John says, if you dwell on that, if you think about that time and wanting to be there and the excitement of that particular moment, he says it purifies you. Why? Because you're thinking of things above. 
you're seeking those things which are above. You realize that your life is hidden with Christ. And when he appears, we will appear as well. You realize that your true longing is for that day, for that day when you will be glorified together with him, when the culmination of all his promises will be seen and manifest in us. Because of this amazing truth and this hope that we have, Paul then tells us to do the following while we wait for that glorious day. So what do we do in the meantime? when we are still in these bodies that are falling apart still. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 3, 5 to 7, he says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye
could he? And neither could we. We heard the voice of Christ and we came out of that grave. But now that we are risen, now that we realize that we are elect and holy and beloved and risen, we are to put on clothes as we've walked out of that grave, clothes which represent heaven itself, clothes that are fit for this new life, clothes that include mercy towards others, kindness, humbleness, meekness, patience, putting up with each other's faults, for, which is forbearance, forgiveness, even towards those who have a problem with us, who are fighting against us or arguing with us. These are what we should fill up our lives with now. These are what we should continually be putting on now. There's another passage which speaks about a very similar thing for people who had previous sins and what to do with it. Remember I said to you, an important principle to remember in our lives and to learn is the principle of taking off and putting on. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, and we'll see what Paul says there because we have a very similar passage that is related to what we have just read. Ephesians 4, 25. Now listen to the putting on and putting off, okay? Or putting away and putting on. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each man speak truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. Notice how he said that as well. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place for the devil. Let him who stole steal no more. But, look at the putting on now, rather let him labour which means work, working with his hands, the thing which is good, so that he may have something to give to him who needs. So before you were stealing, and now you're working to give for the one who can't work for himself or herself. Let not any filthy word come out of your mouth. That were the putting off, right? Don't let any filthy word come out of your mouth, but if any good to building up, in respect of need, that it may give grace to the ones hearing. Speak words which give grace and help those who are in need. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and tumult and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And now put on and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Do you see the principle here? You take off the old, you put on the new. This is what Colossians is teaching us today. We take off the old, smelly, grave clothes, and we put on the fresh, clean clothes of heaven. And what one thing encompasses all of these things all of these particular items of clothing, you might, you might say. Well, verse 14 says, And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now, charity is another word for love, but it is the most giving love. Okay, 
So when he says put on charity, he's saying put on self-sacrificing and giving love, which is the bond of perfectness. Above all, that is what epitomizes the clothes that we wear, love. Love fulfills the law of Christ. To love means to be merciful, kind, humble, meek, patient, forbearing, and forgiving. Paul defines love in very similar terms in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm sure you're familiar with this particular passage. Listen to these and you will notice and see the, the parallel or the similarity between that passage and the passage we've just read. Now have a look at what he lists in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 7. He says, charity suffereth long. Charity is patient and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, is not proud, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, and thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love is the thing which epitomizes the new clothes we had to put on. If you're a bit concerned about, all right, now he's told me to put on shoes and pants and a tie and a jacket and a shirt, you know what? You call it, a, call it clothes or call it heavenly clothes, and that is epitomized by love. And finally, in this new life, there are things which epitomize or characterize how we walk each and every day. After we've come out of that grave and been given a new life and we've put on new clothes and all the old things are all passed away and we've got a bright future ahead of us, in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 3, it says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Now, the peace of God should be a major part of each and every one of our lives. And this peace should also cause us, if you are a person of peace, to live in harmony with your brethren, with your brothers and sisters in the church. But true peace can't exist without thankfulness. You see, people who often break down peace between themselves and other people are often the people who fail to be thankful and focus on the things that they feel they haven't got. There is no peace without being thankful. And this is why thankfulness is so important. You see, when you're thankful, you're focused on the things that God has given you, which you treasure. But if you're unthankful, you will then focus on the things that you feel you deserve that you don't have or that someone else has more than you. And that's when you will cause and I will cause friction with other people and peace will be ruined. You cannot be at peace without being thankful to God for what you have been given by God. So if you don't have peace in your life, let me recommend a really good thing for you to do. 
is to spend time each day focusing on being thankful. And we're just talking about some ethereal thankfulness. No, no. Being thankful means that you're thankful for something. And in our case as Christians, we should be thankful for many things. You know, even if we, did, we didn't have a morsel of bread, we would still have many, many, many things to be thankful for. If you spend some time thinking of those, your life will have more peace. So meditate on being thankful. Meditate on those things. And the peace of God will rule in your hearts today. One of those things that we should be thankful for that brings us peace is the word of God. Look at verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, which means knowing how to use it, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, if you have the word of God, and we are blessed to have that. That is one of the things we should be most thankful for in our lives that we have. Each of us can has a copy of God's word and we can feed on it, learn from it, grow through it. We should be so thankful that we have it in our own language and, and, and given to us such purity. You have a reason to sing today just for that. There is a reason you can have a song in your heart if you're saved and have the word of God in your hands. There are plenty of people in this world who have neither, not salvation and neither the word of God. If you have been saved, you've been given new life. And if you have the word of God, you have the ability and the opportunity to grow in that new life. And there's a reason you can have a lot of joy in your heart today. And we should share that joy, that song, with others. That's what it's telling us here. The reason you sing with other people is to encourage them as well. That's why we sing in church. That's why we sing hymns in church as well. Because we rejoice together. Singing because we have a song in our hearts, a reason to sing, a reason for joy. And we're looking forward to singing again. I'll tell you what, you know, being apart from you guys for six months not being able to sing together is something I long for and I'm sure that you all do as well but our hearts should always be singing with the Lord and verse 17 of Colossians then says and whatsoever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him what a lovely way to finish this chapter. Since Christ is our all in all, he is our love, our hope, our destiny, our future. Then everything we do should be in his name, should be for him, should be giving thanks to God for him and through him. You know, we can lead thankful lives to God. You want to show thankfulness to God? Well, do it through Jesus Christ, his son. When you do things in his name, when you do things that are consistent with what he wants you to do in your life, which is consistent with his life, 
then that's thanking God, not just in words, but in deeds. Is this true for us today? As I've gone through this passage, I've shared with you a lot of different things. But is this true for you this morning? Does everything we do point to Jesus? Do the words we speak and the things we do, the works that we work, do they point to him? Are they consistent with him? Do they glorify his name? As our king, and our, are our affections upon him? Are you seeking things above? Are you seeking for things that are heavenly rather than things on the earth? Is he the focus of your life this morning? You know, where your treasure is, there your heart is going to be as well. Where is your heart this morning? Please, if you're a believer, don't be distracted by the fake gold that is in this world, by the things which seem to be shiny and glittery, but are ultimately worth nothing. Is your life hidden with Christ this morning? Has he called you by name? Have you risen out of that grave? Have you heard his voice like Lazarus, his friend, did after being dead for four days in that grave? Well, you're called to walk then in newness of life. This is the message of the gospel. Life begins when you hear Jesus calling your name. And this morning, my prayer is that you would hear his voice. Because he offers life to you. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. But if you have life in him, rejoice in what you have. Remember what you have. Let the old life die. Put away all the sins that should be treated like smelly grave clothes and put on the beautiful, sweet-smelling clothes of heaven. Live this new life that you've been given because Jesus is worth it. God bless you all. I pray that you have a wonderful week. And if there is anyone who doesn't know Christ, turn to him right now and receive life from the author of life. God bless you.